Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Overdue Rental Podcast, the podcast where we talk about films that people are not talking about enough anymore. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cinema Blends Mike Reyes. And today, people, we've got such a treat because we have joining us the one and only Dylan O'Brien, who's here to talk about his new film, The Outfit, which is uh, co-written and directed by Graham Moore, who many of you may know won an Academy Award for writing uh, The Imitation Game. But we'll get more about that also later in the week, too. Ooh, Matthew, do you, do, are, you, are you proposing, are you insinuating that maybe, much like The Outfit in theaters on March 18th, yes. we are hiding secrets, such as the fact that we have two episodes covering this very focused features release? Yeah, this very, we do have two, two very special episodes for this. I don't know why you'd hide this from me. I mean, I I feel like we would have recorded these together. Well, you know, there's some things that happen in life, much like in the outfit, where um, some, you know, seedy underlings have some stuff hidden from them while uh, kind of conducting business at a tailor, well, We'll say tailor shop. We'll get more of that at some point or another too. Um, oh, most definitely. But yeah, the outfit. The outfit was was again a movie that I kind of knew about but didn't know about, and I was very very surprised at how much I really loved this movie. Um, and we'll talk about it a little bit more later because not only do we have to talk about the outfit, we also have Dylan here to talk to us about his 2020 film Love and Monsters, which is also just a wonderful, wonderful movie that I highly recommend, whether you're a Dylan O'Brien fan or not. And if you're not a Dylan O'Brien fan, what's wrong with you? I highly recommend you check this movie out. Uh, It is a story about a young man who travels the wilds of America during a post-apocalypse with a lot of big monsters. Yeah, and that is also available for you to watch on Hulu right now. But before we get into all that, let's get Dylan in here to talk about these movies, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, again, we, you know what, I was only just kidding before, folks. We did record these episodes together, literally together. Yes, this oh, Mike, really you, were, you were hinting at it, and I totally wasn't paying attention. What? I mean, j- ladies and gentlemen, the outfit in theaters on November, uh, on March 18th, not November 18th. It'll, yes. be on, it'll be on Blu-ray by then, and you'll be able to watch it at home numerous times, which is interesting because Graham Moore says you should watch it at least three times. But anyway, this was the first time in Overdue Rentals history that we got to record in the same room together. Absolutely. And I'm and hooked on it. Let's, let's do it some more. But I think more importantly, let's see how Dylan thought about the whole experience. Hey, Thanks. Dylan. How's it going? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Thank you so much for joining wow. us. Yeah, yeah, of course. And Thanks that, for and having that, me. Well, also, I mean, this, this is the outfit, man. What a great piece of work to, to get involved with. I mean, was this something that yeah. you, you had seen like across somebody's desk, like, get me that one, or you were approached directly for it? No, it wasn't approached directly. At the, uh, I read the script on the plane and I freaked out. Like, and I was like, what's going on with it? Like, I didn't know where they were at in the process too. Like, I was like, or, I was like, you know, so I, I just immediately like recorded a couple scenes and like sent in a tape. Uh, um, and never thought I'd, you know, I even, I think I said to my manager, even like during this, cause I was, I was so in love with it. And I was like, this is the kind of thing I like never get. I know I'm not going to get this, but I want to at least like meet Graham, you know, cause like this fucking script, it's like incredible. So I was, I was, I don't know. It just came across, uh, it got sent to me, um, by my agent to read and, and I just freaked out over the, um, over what it was, you know? Uh, and figured that like many other people were probably doing it too, so I should get in a tape like ASAP. 
yeah, I mean, this is this is a hell of a movie to land just because you have this like murderous row of talent, yourself included, but also Zoe Deutsch and uh, yeah. Mark Rylands and Johnny Flynn. Like the, some of the, the scenes between you and Johnny are just electric. The two of you going. Cool, cool, cool. cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's such a talented cast. You know, I'm like a fan of all of them. Hey, Johnny, you know, who I th think I probably got to work with the most. I mean, I don't know. We all they were my main three. Um, first of all, like all like incredible people, you know, and that's always the best. Um, so it was such a nice set to be on, such a comfortable space to like operate in. And uh, each of them are just so fucking inspiring too. Like for their for so many different reasons, you know. Like um, Johnny is. I mean that I I would call Johnny Flynn coolest cat on the block. Uh, mm. <laughs> uh, I would always say that to him when I saw him. I'm just like obsessed with that guy. Like first of all, just like look at his face. Um, like what? Like his face is like crafted by the gods. It's like so. It's so cool. He's even got like a scar um, on his face that just like adds to it. That they even used for the character. They like accentuated it. Um, um, and he's like an incredible musician. His band is so sick. Uh, He's like, he's such a, he's like a chameleon of an actor. He's just the coolest, you know, he's the coolest. Um, and yeah, and so, I mean, Zoe's like, Zoe's an icon. Like she like already is, you know, and she's like the hardest working person I think I've ever come across. Um, and Mark is, you know, like, what, you got an hour? It's like, <laughs> yes, <wish>. actually. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's, well, he's incredible. It's so funny. Everyone's like, you know, so obsessed with him. And he's all right, you know? <laughs> yeah you know he's, he's just this guy you know he's... Okay, there's a guy mark rylands remember his name he's gonna be you're gonna know you're gonna hear that name a lot more like, he might year. win an oscar one day i'm just you know what i'm going to bet I'm calling on it. It. no i'm calling it yeah all right well i just stayed out of it so you guys can fight about it <laughs> <laughs> i you know mike may kill me for asking this because i just realized maybe he doesn't notice but in the last maybe three or four interviews i've always had a question about accents and voices Cause I'm wondering how easy or hard it is to kind of get that old school Chicago accent going. Uh, yeah, I came into that with no, like, it's not like I had Chicago in my back pocket, like my whole life, you know? <laughs> so I didn't even really know what it was, nor was I even really, I didn't know what kind of, I didn't know, uh, obviously it's a very placed piece. So I think one of the first conversations that I had with Graham was like, um, I was like, what do you want to do about the accent? You know, um, and he was always, I think, pretty intent on, like, he's, he was like, whatever you did in your tape was, was great. Um, and then I think I ended up, I was like quite neutral in my tape. Um, I think my accent leans a little, like a little East coast, like anyway, naturally, but not Chicago. And I think as I was just like prepping, I got, I just became obsessed with the Chicago accent. I started listening to this podcast like sort of as like a joke uh because it's sort of the first it's, it's called like the chicago accent podcast or something like that it's, <laughs> it's those guys just like just going full-blown chicago like as a joke basically but it really like got me into i don't know uh uh just like you know so there's sort of like that like that was that's like the, the like furthest extent you could go and that's and then you can dive into like you know um um 
you know, the period of it all that you're just saying like, okay, it's like fifties. Maybe there's, I took, I even thought like at one point I was like, should I like, should we lay some like Irish into it? Like that could be kind of weird and cool, you know? Um, but I don't know. I ended up on like landing on what I, whatever I landed on. And it just, uh, I don't even, I have no recollection of like, you know, uh, how well I even achieved it. But I remember at the time it just sort of taking shape and I'd walk, I'd be walking around my apartment in Wembley, just like, you know, just talking like that um and then i was just like i want to flaunt this (laughs) (laughs) i don't know and i mean it also definitely helps you have like pretty much everyone but uh, a couple characters get speak in that accent so it's kind of like the more you speak with someone it's like the more it kind of reinforces it the more you kind of check each other's work from Mm -hmm. time to time yeah, right. I was, the, you know, there's an actor in the movie uh, by the name of uh, Simon Russell Beale, who's uh, like a legend, a uh, West End legend, right? He's like, literally like, you know, the co-mark of like, you know, London theater. And, uh, and so, and he was like starting after we shot the, you know, movie sequence. So like, he didn't start until after um, uh, I was done. And I like told him, I was like, you know, so here's like this, like, you know, <laughs> this like knighted actor, you know, is like coming on to set. I was like, I was like, hey, here's how you got to talk, by the way, because here's how I'm talking. <laughs> I don't even think he listened to it. Um, uh, but I, I it, you know, and I hope it worked out. I don't know. But it's hilarious. Because I even like I imitate him at one point and I was just trying to guess like what he was going to sound like. Um, and uh, I was like, by the way, here's how I imitated you. So like, he's, you know, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's that's another guy we got to watch out for. Simon mm. Russell Beale, mm. Mark Rylance, just you you pick all of the right horses. Just your whippersnapper out there, Simon. Okay, got it. <laughs> just just well, look out for him, look out for him. Yeah, mm. yeah. Do tweet it right now. So, and, and you can credit me. That call. <laughs> totally, no, totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned, you know, shooting it, you know, in order and, you know, we just spoke to Grammy, but he told us about this as well. And like, is it, was yeah. you, you even shot, was this planned ahead of time? And you came to set and they're like, we're just going to shoot this in order. No, it was, uh, yeah, it was something I asked. I remember asking Graham, um, before we were even greenlit, I think like when he had just, um, uh, when I had got the part, I think like one of the first times I met him, I thought. I asked the question because I was like, it, it can be, you know, it's one place. So I was curious whether or not we were going to be doing that. Because, um, you know, location is obviously the only reason that we ever not shoot in order. It's location. It's all location availability. So, uh, yeah, I think it was one of the first things I asked. And he was like, yes, we are planning to do an order. I think there was like maybe a day at the end where they had to like do something for like an effect or something like a, like a, um, a special effect that they had to like do like an A out of order, but it was like predominantly uh, completely in sequence, which is, you know, so rare. Um, it's fucking so cool. Well, yeah, this is, this is actually one of two movies that I've covered recently that they got to rehearse together, shoot in order. And it was mostly because of, you know, COVID bubbling. Yeah. So right. if there was anything good to come out of this sort of weird new world that we're in, that has to be it. And especially with a movie like The Outfit, you it, it lends something to that. Right. Something extra to that sort of tightly wound mystery that you get to do this in order and get to rise and fall with the motion. Yeah. It's funny. This is, you know, I first read this script um, 
uh, six months before uh, COVID even like hits before initial we were even in initial quarantine. And, and I was like, it's so weird how well that contained script that I had read and auditioned for, like, um, you know, aged into uh, the things that would be uh, uh, first on deck when the industry like got on its feet. Um, and yeah, and it was like, you know, cause London was still in lockdown when we shot it and we were in Wembley. And so we had to stay really close to the stage and it was just all part of the, it all became part of the experience. Like I was like, you know, it felt like a play. Like we, we'd get up, make your coffee, your little apartment, get my backpack and like just, and then just walk over to the stage uh, for rehearsals, you know, so, and, you know, come back at the end of the day, get up, do it all over again, you know? So, um, it was really cool. I, you know, I, uh, really helps you like focus and stay in the world and, um, stay in the zone. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it ended up sort of serving, uh, in, in, in ways that I guess you wouldn't expect, you know? Well, as much as we want to talk about the outfit all day and have Chicago in our back pockets, we did invite you on to also talk about a film that you were part of that, I don't know about you, Matthew, but this was this is near and dear to my heart considering when it came out, uh, Love and Monsters. Oh, this man. Came at, this came at the right time because this was just, you're in the middle of 2020 and right. all of these like movies are shifting over to streaming and VOD premieres. And right. I don't know how much this was on my radar before like the trailer just dropped and then right. i watched it and it's like i need to see that and then it all just sort of <laughs> came together where it's like oh yeah you're gonna watch the movie and you get to talk to these people about it and yeah i th this was just i'm amazed that this took six years to actually get off the ground from when they first sort of started everything up so i just want to start off by asking did you have any inkling of this script in the early days or did this sort of just come to you right as they were going to to production uh yeah so i think by the time i had read it it had already been like six or seven years since they had like initially optioned it or it was even like initially uh written by um the original writer brian duffield um and uh uh it was still pretty much i think there had i think it had undergone like a rewrite with like a new writer by the time i had gotten to it but it was pretty much still um i heard uh, his like molds and I just absolutely, um, flipped for it. And I was like, what the, it's funny. My friend actually like sent it to me. It's re it's really random how I came to it because like, I went to like a meeting at some point with Paramount and I, and I guess that they had sent me some things that they had like that were, that nothing was happening with. And that was one of them. But coincidentally, like the next day, my friend sent me a script anyway and was like, you should read this. Um, and it was, it was Love and Monsters. Um, and I read it and I was like, yo, what the fuck is this? And I like immediately, I immediately called my manager and I was just like, I have to do this movie. And she's like, oh, cool. Yeah. Did you get that from the, yeah, from your meeting yesterday? And I was like, no, like, you know, Max sent this to me. Uh, and she was like, oh, cause that also came from, it was like a really weird coincidence. And, um, I don't know, kind of just, uh, yeah, like weirdly fit. I don't know if I've ever made like a quicker decision on something like uh, in my life. Like I, I just like knew that I had to do that movie somehow, some way. Like luckily, you know, we did and it got greenlit too. And it, you know, I think it happened just right in the nick of time too. I think it like right before I was like too old for it. I was like just mm. like getting to that point. And I also just did that kind of movie just I think like, I don't know if it would have gotten 
Greenland today, you know, um, which is such a such a depressing thoughts. But like, it's like the it's like what we're kind of fighting right now. But like, you know, it's just such a fucking cool. Um, uh, it's just such a cool movie. You know, it's 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 genre lists. You know, it's everything. It's like it's, it's, it's so many elements of like these movies that I was like obsessed with, like as a kid, I love the, the every man, the, the, the ordinary guy in, the, in absolute, like extraordinary circumstances. Like I fall, I dig that every time. It was so like imaginative and creative, like the world, the spin on the apocalypse. It was like borderline satirical, but like really still like grounded and honest and like such a, such a heart to it at the center, you know? Um, yeah, it was like one of the, uh, uh, one of the most like, connected I've ever like felt to uh, reading like a character and like a like a world for the first time. Uh, so it's so cool. You love it, man. I was so happy that you that you brought it up. It's so cool that, that you did. I love people who appreciate that. <laughs> well, it must also be great because just like the outfit gives you the opportunity to do something like you know one set feel like we, we were shooting you know we're shooting in in chronological order. It's an experience where. Love and Monsters also, while yeah, granted there's going to be like a green screen out there and there are effects heavy, it's still, it was, had such a natural feeling to it. Yeah. So it wasn't like you were just on a stage the whole time for that. Yeah. So you got to experience these things that a lot of people are not going to as actors. Totally, totally, totally. Um, yeah, that's like, you know, uh, uh, I learned from, you know, Wes Ball, who's the director of the Maze Runner movies. Um, I remember, I, I learned from him like really young and it's always stuck with me. Like I remember, because Wes was like a, He's like a, he's like a, a VFX, like, like talk about having it in your back pocket. Like that's like kind of like, that's like where he came from. And uh, so we, so he's like an expert with all that shit. And it's actually it went a long way into like, you know, how he was, how we were able to pull off like that first Mason movie. Cause, you know, we did not have like a lot of time and a lot of like a ton of resources, you know, it was like, it was quite small for the, uh, for the scope that was trying to be achieved. Right. And, and I remember him saying something like, He's like with like with VFX, like you have to stay as like practical as possible. You know, um, you have to utilize your practical surroundings and the environment as much as you can um, in order for it to like you know be achieved as authentically as possible. Uh, so anytime you see anything that's just you know all green screen, I mean, I just think it's like it's it's a lot tougher to make that work. And so it's interesting, you know, so when we, um, yeah, so on, on Love and Monsters, I remember it being, uh, uh, I remember getting really excited um, initially hearing that we were going to Australia and like that, you know, Michael Matthews, um, another really, really talented and like young guy um, in my early conversations with him when he got the job, um, you know, he was like sending me pictures of like all these locations from the scouts, you know, and they were, they were like, I was just the terrain and like the scope of the movie. I was like already seeing it all like come together. And I was like, Oh, this is, oh, this is like, this is just right. So, you know, it's, uh, it needs that sort of like, um, that practical, like authentic, like wasteland kind of feel to it. Yeah. And you know, as, as effects heavy as it is, leaning into the practical is also one of the things that not only do you do that in on the realm of effects, you also do that in the realm of the script. And anytime that, I talk about this movie, the one scene that has always stuck out to me is when Joel is there at the hotel with the Mavis unit and she's just about to run out of battery. And that totally. whole scene just is, it literally is the heart of the film. Yeah, totally. Um, 
no, I was so hoping that that's what you were like going to bring up. Um, <laughs> I mean, can like, we make I him love... a co-host now? <laughs> <laughs> I, um, it's, uh, I mean, God, like that's, yeah, that's just like, that scene like sold me on the movie when I first read the script, you know, there's always, there's, there's like iconic moments. I feel like whenever you instinctively know that like something's for you or that you like want to do something or it's going to be some way a part of your life. I don't know. Um, um, but like that scene was one of the, I think that's like one of the, you know, um, iconic scenes of the script that that was there from all the way from, from the initial draft. Like, so that, that scene survived a decade of like, you know, changes because I think it is, yeah, I think to anyone who reads it is just sort of undeniably the soul of the script, everything come back, comes back, comes back to that moment, you know? Um, and that's just like what movies are for too. And then going back to the practical effect thing, you know, that it was amazing doing that scene, you know, with, they had a puppet, we had a full on puppeteer, you know, it's not like I was sitting next to like a green doll, you know, like it was like, I was like doing the scene with, you know, and the guy was like fully doing the, like turning the head and the hands and he had, he had full control. So sometimes it was like, you know, there's this guy behind the Mavis, like in like a complete blue thing. So that was kind of funny, but, um, but just so cool to have, you know, like her as an actual scene partner. Yeah. And, and we, and then, um, um, we had uh, uh, the actress who played the uh, the voice, Melanie, was literally like offset, like doing the scene with me, you know. And I had like her like recording was coming out, like exactly how it is like in the film, like too. It's like so just cool that we were able to do it that way. Very smart to uh, choose to do it that way, and yeah, I love that scene uh, so much, man. So so cool. Yeah. That must be good too, like not having to go see the film and all of a sudden you hear like Scarlett Johansson's voice instead. It's like you, you got the person that you spoke against. Yo, it's really funny that you said that because I'm pretty sure like people made jokes about that on <laughs> set. Like, they hadn't like cast the voice yet. And like, but like, you know, Melanie who had, who had done it at the table read and she's like so fantastic. Like we were all like, how can it not be this? Like, what do you, like, what do you think you get? Fucking Scarlett Johansson in here or something? <laughs> Literally, literally. So, um, yeah, I'm really glad that they ended up, um, you know, uh, coming to the senses and giving her the kick because she just smashed it. Well, I'm going to throw a wild curve before we leave because you mentioned your connection with West Ball. Uh, yeah. I was wondering if maybe you have kept in contact with him and heard anything about his approach to Planet of the Apes. Yeah, you want all the secrets? <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, what? I think we can block up a whole hour and you can just tell yeah. us, but we'll change we'll we'll change your voice to Scarlett Johansson so that way it sounds like Scarlett Johansson gave us the dirt. Yes, of course. I'll uh, I'll skip lunch. Um, yeah, <laughs> I do. I do still stay in touch with Wes. I just talked to him like a couple weeks ago. Um, I know nothing about the Apes movie. I know that it's like been you know. I mean, he's really like he gets really invested, you know. So he he's like really excited about like his take on it. It's been slow, I think, the process. Um, but he's really excited about it. Um. And it's been going on. I think he's he's already been working on it for a couple of years. I feel like, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, uh, it's funny. It, it'd be you know. I hope it. I hope it like you know gets going because I'm excited to see what he'll do with it. Um, oh yeah, I I still mourn the fact that his mouse guard got canceled. Oh dude, dude. Well, that yeah. Uh, that yeah. Was, 
that is it's just such a blow to the industry in so many ways like that was like such a scary sign of like okay if the biggest company that is like somewhat monopolizing the entire industry right now too is not going to take these swings who's going to take these swings and not just not take the swing but pull the rug out from under the swing yeah that was uh, a dark day dark day yeah uh i can't say enough about like like again how it me- what it means to i mean wes is like you know looks like spielberg the reason we even have like this these this big you know the, like the, the big movie medium this you know these i don't know like sci-fi superhero like elements are all all inspired from these you know these innovative filmmakers that we had you know like yeah. decades ago with like you know star wars and like spielberg and like like this this type of movie had never been like seen before you know the scale had never even been seen before so it's i find it ironic that they're you know what they um have gotten all this inspiration from and are like you know operating with right now um they're now just like sort of like erasing they're kind of like eradicating you know the i guess like uh the next sort of evolution of that you know like young filmmakers with you know i mean what he was doing with that movie was really innovative and like incredible um and nobody you know he was building it like on like a video game system like it was unbelievable and the fact that like that got he because i remember going to the office he was showing me like everything he was doing he's he's genius you know and so so why are we (laughs) were you gonna be a part of it was i no 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 I, i was i was about to go do um love monsters actually and i was just like using his his office was like down the block from my house and so i was just like doing like prep his office and he was like showing me all the stuff and it was like mind-blowing and it just got it's all just like in a can somewhere you know um i still hope that at some point yeah uh he gets to sort of finish that journey because that was like such a blow to him and genuinely such a blow to like you know the industry too because what are we, you know what are we doing if we're not allowing like these new things into the space we're just regurgitating the same things over and over again you know thank you for joining right. us though i really appreciate yeah, it of course. you really appreciate of course. it great talking to you guys take it Have easy a good one all right you too later dylan o'brien everybody yes dylan o'brien just oh you know i wasn't kidding he, if, if if we ever wanted to have a celebrity uh, co-host he is probably the he's the second person that yeah, i would I say don't don't let marguerite off the hook here oh i'm not letting marguerite off the hook marguerite was fantastic and marguerite I, moreau everybody go back listen to the episode you'll know what we're talking about and watch monuments while you're at it because we're gonna we, we can still plug a movie even though it's an older episode because what's over to rentals about it's about making sure films do not get forgotten Absolutely. films are ohana to us people but yeah no uh you know he's dylan's a guy who you know, I, I, I didn't get to mention it. To, I didn't want to mention it because I have a feeling that everybody's going to bring it up to him now. But like, I think for as many people who know him from one movie or another, like I'm starting, he's starting to kind of branch out into those things that you can't wait for people to branch out into. So I'm very specifically re- referencing his Kirby Enthusiasm, Kirby Enthusiasm episode, which was just amazing. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it yet. Oh my God, watch it. Just watch clips of it. If you don't even want, you don't have time to watch the whole show. Just watch clips of it. I'd be glad to watch the episode, but I, I see what you're talking about because recently he did go on record and people were asking him like, why aren't you in the Teen Wolf movie? Because he was on the Teen Wolf show for MTV 
and they're I doing. I, I had no. I never saw the show, so I don't know. Well, they're doing a revival movie, and if I remember correctly, he was basically like, you know what? It was a hard decision, but ultimately, he felt like where the character, where his character was at the end of the series, was best where it was left. And he's like, you know what? I will watch that movie the moment it comes out. I am proud of the people that are in there. I'm proud that it's happening, and. Yeah, he he really is just at this phase right now where he feels like, as he was talking about with like Love and Monsters, he took that project because it was like, look, uh, it's kind of getting to the end of me picking up these sort of projects, so I'm just going to do this now while I can. You can sort of see that with the outlet, uh, the outfit, not the outlet. No, he's still doing it, guys. <laughs> it was funny because Ma Matthew and I were talking about that at the junket, and the big reason is because usually in these requests, they'll have a, a little field where it says outlet and then it'll say like whoever you're with. So I think that's part of the reason why, you know, junk oh, yeah. outlet it kind of like warms its way into your brain. But the outlet is a movie that does not exist. The outfit <laughs> is a movie that exists. And, you know, maybe we won't talk about it too much just because we're probably, yes. we're going to be talking about it again. Absolutely. Correct. With Graham Moore, which will be dropping not too long after this. But in terms of specifically, we could talk about it specifically with Dylan. And I think that listening to his preparation for the, the Chicago accent, and he's like, oh, it's not like I have Chicago in my back pocket, yeah. which by the way, how is that line not in the outlet? The outfit. <laughs> how is that line not in the outfit? It's like, I have Chicago in my back pocket. It's right over here. But just listening to his prep for that, and even just looking at everybody in their costumes, like that's another thing that really plays a good, a, a huge part in this, not just because it's at a tailor shop, but also just the way that everybody's dressed in this, I can't help but feel that they really, that helped lock them into their characters. Like when you're standing there in that sort of suit, you definitely can comport yourself in a certain way. No, and, and it's also like, look, I'm not trying to um, make assumptions here or anything like that, but it's also like, I'm not trying to talk down about something like Teed Wolf or anything like that, but it's like, yeah, it's like the outfit comes along. This is the one you do. So if it was also a fight between the two of them, which I'm not saying it was, you go with the outfit. I mean, I'm just, that just makes sense. Okay. I don't know if, I don't think he mentioned it in our interview because I looked at this at the EPK, but mm. little teaser for uh, the type of person Graham Moore is Dylan O'Brien got this script. He loved it so much. I don't or he mentioned it Dylan mentioned in an interview, I think that or I don't know if he mentioned it in our interview or it was the EPK. Those things kind of blend when you're he doing it. He mentioned in our interview the idea that he had saw it and like fought to try and get to it, I think. He apparently stood up on the plane and clapped. He didn't mention that during our <laughs> it was interview. Like getting real excited when he was on the plane reading it. He then self-taped an a uh, an audition and sent it off to uh, Graham Moore. Graham said it was one of the best auditions he'd seen in his life. He then sends the tape to Mark Rylance. Mark Rylance agrees with him. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And just, it's the, like the, the fact that he just went for it. That is something that really impresses the fuck out of me because when, when you really want to, there's, there is two types of like really wanting a role. It's the Vanity Project where it's like, I really want to play Bobby Darren and I'm going to be outed as a creep years later. And then there's, I read this part. I really want to play this part because I have a plan. I have an execution. I have a hunger for this. And that is the type of person Dylan O'Brien is. It's also interesting that, you know, and I will say this in the most vague way I can, because I do not want to spoil anything for the movie. 
but it also shows you how much he obviously cares about that specific role because it may seem logical for certain people to maybe choose a different role in this film as the one you wanted to portray for specific reasons. And again, I won't say anything more than that, but that's, that's again, like the idea of like, almost like a, a team player before even joining the team. True, but I don't think he would have been as good as the uh, Taylor bench. <laughs> I mean, th- he's, he has more range than that. I'm laughing for a lot of reasons, people. I can't even talk about all of them at this point. So with that, <laughs> one of them being he wants to fire my ass and get a celebrity co-host. No, no, no. We, this is just more, more people joining us. We'll be a whole team. It'll be me, you, uh, Dylan, Marguerite, and then we'll pick a fifth for, for revolving when one of them is out filming something. Oh, yeah, like a whole panel. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, but Love and Monsters is funny because Love and Monsters, again, not saying that there are a lot of films that uh, you and I both have not seen that we're going to talk about, but a lot of them I've either made the attempts to see beforehand, but Love and Monsters is one of those ones that, like, not that I haven't attempted, I should say, but, like, it just never came across my seat to finally watch until we were doing this. So this was my first watch of Love and Monsters. Oh, and how was your experience with it? Well, I'll tell you, not only because, again, we'll get into this a little later, because I think part of why this is also still an overdue rental is because this really came out in that very strange balance of the pandemic where, you know, it was being self-released for you to home. And so it didn't get as much promotion as it should have, but it was there for a lot of people to see, but not everybody saw it because it wasn't being promoted as much. But yeah, like I still remember this trailer dropping out of nowhere, promising an October release date. And it's like, I've never heard of this before, but I really like this trailer. And I then, see, I I, yeah, I didn't even see the trailer. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I saw the, the clips of it when it was coming out, and like for me at the time, it was just like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll pass by it. But um, what impressed me the most, and I think I kind of we talked about this a little bit when we were talking to Dylan. What impressed me the most is that it doesn't feel like some big CG heavy. Yes, there are certain scenes that just will have to be part of it, but even with it there. It feels it feels real and heartful in a way that a lot of these films will never feel. Um, yeah, it's not it's not just a crutch. Like they're not just yeah. relying on CGI monsters to to make up what's. They're not relying on these beautiful, big, stunning visuals to make up for the, whatever heart or story is not in there. In this, in the same breath, though, I would have really have loved to have seen because I was I'm thinking of that snail. Uh, we have to take the shirt off and, and Michael Rooker puts the shirt on the snail so that it takes the scent everywhere. If that snail was just like so practical, like it was like the, they just they just took the snail from uh, the never ending story and just made it bigger <laughs> and just like put it on set with them. Like how how amazing would have that have been? You know? <laughs> Pure method acting. But <laughs> yeah, like this- to say that. The, the, the best part about this was the, the reason I ended up seeing this was because it literally landed in my lap for the, uh, the junket when it was coming out. Yeah. So I got to talk to Dylan. I got to talk to Sean Levy and I got to talk to Michael Rooker for this film. And just how everybody spoke about this movie, how everyone talked about it, you could tell that it really was one of those things that people believed in. And it was one of those stories that, again, they saw the atypical nature of it because it takes time with characters. It takes time with story. I bet you if this was, 
if we were in, if it maybe if it was even in another studio or just another pair of hands were handling it, that Mavis scene would have not have lasted the six years of de- like the, I think it was the yeah, six years yeah. of development between 2012 and 2018 where this script was just kicking around getting rewritten. Well, you know, it's 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 so funny to think about that, especially since you know, Adam Project's finally now coming out as we record this. It'll be out by the time you listen to this. Uh, because another Sean Levy uh, film, but you know, was in development for so long. Originally, Tom Tom Cruise is going to be the star in it, you know, and it just feels that you know, like, are we all of a sudden to the point where Sean Levy is just the person to bring these things that have been in development for years to the screen? Uh, you know, honestly, the way that he does it, I'm perfectly fine with that. <laughs> uh, you know, then, and that's not just because we got to run across that great gentleman and uh, absolutely loved the Adam project, which is available on Netflix now. Uh, but just the, again, there's that phrase that I can't, I don't remember if it was him that originated it or if it was something that I spun from what he's always said about his, his movies, but he makes humanist blockbusters. Mm. And that is something that I always have admired. Like, even if it's just Real Steel or Free Guy or now Adam Project. And now, you know, he's doing Deadpool 3, which I'm really interested to see how, how he's going to be directing Deadpool 3. And I, I mean, I believe in him for the job, but I'm very curious. Yeah. Is this a subtle way of telling us that they're going PG-13? Or is he actually going to make his second R-rated? Because he's only ever made one R-rated feature before. That's an interesting question, I guess. I mean, but it is because he does have he does have a different sensibility than its past um, filmmakers, I would say. So you're right. But in the same breath, again, I, you know, no movie is just the director. No movie is just the actor. No movie is just the writer and so on and so forth. But when you have these franchises, these things that go on for so long, there's a, as there's a certain point where the actor does take over, you know, like, cause, cause like you think about it, like Marvel films, where it was, when we got to the final part, where we got to the part where the Avengers finally were in each other's movies. And so you have like, I'll use the Guardian of the Galaxy stars, for instance, being directed by the Russo brothers in the, in like the Endgame and um, Infinity War films, the actors who portrayed those characters knew those characters so well that they could perform it without any issues. But that doesn't mean the directions could still take different roads that could affect the picture. So it's a strange kind of dichotomy. Right. But at the same time, I just Free Guy was a good template for what a Sean mm. Levy Deadpool movie could be. And I don't think you, I think the big thing would be just the gore and the language that would be upped because otherwise the jet, the genuine building blocks of Deadpool are in free guy, like the irreverence, the fast paced action. Sean Levy's got all that. All they really have to do is just sort of amp up the other naughty bits. And I don't think they'd have that much of a problem with that, especially with Ryan Reynolds being just Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, exactly. But, um, that's, so that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about I forgot. We're talking about another movie. <laughs> Well, yeah, but that just circles back to Sean Levy's producing. I mean, again, maybe part of the reason that the Mavis scene stayed was because Sean Levy has been such a guiding hand of this film. Mm. And with that, you know, all these other really great moments, like this movie has a keen sense of humor to it, but it's not outwardly mean-spirited towards anyone, even its villains. Yeah. Like the villains are just more 
comical and definitely menacing, but it's not outwardly pointing out like, oh, these guys are dicks. It's like, well, no, they're obviously the people we have to fight against and they're bad dudes, but it doesn't put too fine or too cynical of a point on it. There's also, I mean, and, and I think I'll leave this with, with my parting thought about the movie too. Um, very more well, my very specific parting thought about the movie too, because it takes a very broad brush of this world it creates to talk about the idea of maturing, uh, you know, in a way that, yeah, love stories are, are always going to be kind of outrageous when you see them in, in theaters or, you know, in, 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 in this media. So to sit there and watch a character go after all these years in the middle of apocalypse and I'm not very good at it, I'm going to go across the country to see this woman who I still think loves me that way. And just like being able to take that very naive feeling and just actually kind of explore it in a different type of way is, yeah. is very smart. <laughs> yeah, instead of just, oh, she's the goal. It's like, well, she's the goal in his mind, but we clearly see that through the film, yes. the goal is yeah. him becoming better at the apocalypse, especially with Michael Rooker and Ariana Greenblatt's character sort of help characters helping him out. Yeah, but it's not even, it's not even, it's, it's, it goes beyond that too. It's more of the idea of understanding what other relationships, how important they are because the idea of family specifically in, in this sense, because um, not that you, not that you shouldn't want to search for somebody even in the apocalypse to to love in the physical sense or you know a relationship that is more than just you know your platonic family whatever you want to call it uh, you know because none of these people really are his platonic family um, yeah but they become it you know um, so yeah again in like just like you said in his mind that's the goal and even though he grows with that and it makes sense to him it has that much broader stroke that it ties into. No, I mean, indeed, just it's, it has that wonderful depth to it where you really think it's going to be about one thing and it just surprises you very beautifully. And I'm, I am just really glad that we got to talk about this movie. I agree. And with that, everybody, make sure you check Love and Monsters off of your overdue rentals list. Check out the outfit as it is available March 18th, Friday, March 18th. And if you forget, we'll remind you, don't worry. Oh, yeah. Michael, where can people find us? Well, as our membership application to the outfit has not been accepted yet, um, meanwhile, we'll just go apply to the outlet because, you know, I hear they have great deals. Uh, you can find us on TikTok, on Instagram, at Overdue Rentals Show, on Twitter, on Rentals Overdue, on Facebook, at Overdue Rentals. And if you want to send us love letters, uh, recommendations for films, petitions to have Dylan O'Brien in the new Planet of the Apes series with Wes Ball, uh, or, or if the outfit ever wants to appro approve us for membership, uh, we're good for it. Come on. Send us an email at overdurentals at gmail.com. But that's not all, because if you may have just found this transmission on some sort of random broadband ham radio and you want to seek out other episodes on the other end of the internet wasteland. That's fine. We love you too. We're not going to betray you for some douche pirate guy. Uh, you can ethically source. If you you can ethically source our podcast on the many platforms that you find such auditory delights: uh, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify. Uh, I was kidding about the ham radio, but if anybody's really broadcasting us on ham radio, that's a lot of dedication, and we kind of love you for that. 
Uh, last but not, yeah, please. Uh, we'll boost you. Last but not least, while you are finding us, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so the rental counter can stay open and we can continue to suggest wonderful movies and wonderful guests like Dylan O'Brien and Love and Monsters and The Outfit. And not that douche pirate Liam Hemsworth wannabe. I really thought it was Liam Hemsworth at first. I didn't know what was going on. I love the Hemsworths. We're going to have to get them on here at some point. Mike? Matthew? Bye-bye. Bye-bye.